It's interesting that the, this teaching week fell to me. Um, I'm going to give you what the Lord's been giving me for a few months here in the Psalms. Uh, I want to spend tonight, you know, we're kind of wrapping up David's story. And uh, last time I taught on, on some keys of David's life uh, and story. But tonight, want to dive into some information on the Psalms. And, and two Psalms in particular that we're going to focus on that I think are so uh, remarkable for a number of reasons, but really are speaking to me and I believe to the church uh, in this season in some profound ways. And so we're going to take a look at those Psalms. As we're reading through the breadth of David's Psalms, you see a few things just repeating. This man is really, in my opinion, he's kind of addicted to the presence of the Lord. And this is the, the one thing that he's seeking is to be in God's presence. And, and because of that, a number of David's psalms are incredibly prophetic and are revelatory in the sense of tying in specific prophecies related to Jesus as the Messiah. And so in Luke 24, 44, Jesus uh, has, is resurrected. He's with his disciples, and he says to them that he, uh, he basically says the law and the prophets and the writings are the scriptures that have been testifying of him. And so Jesus is throughout, he is the, the core revelation of all the scriptures comes down to this. Jesus is the son of God and the scriptures testify of him as the very son, the living son of God. And so uh, that core revelation comes through in some remarkable ways in some of David's psalms. And so I want to look at uh, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, uh, in particular, I believe these two are, are these two psalms are linked in some very interesting ways. They're prophetic, um, and they tie directly in to the revelation that Jesus is the Son of the Living God. I uh, believe these are really important for us as disciples of Jesus in the time that we're that we're alive. Uh, begin to connect to what these psalms are all about. So let's read Psalm 2 to begin with. And then we'll kind of break it down verse by verse. Uh, it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So I just want to make a couple points about Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 together. They, they both talk about the son very specifically, Psalm 110 begins, the Lord said to my Lord, come and sit at my right hand 
And here you have the Lord. It's like David is overhearing the father speaking directly to Jesus, the son. And I think that's what links these two Psalms, I think, very explicitly, because they're, they're really the two Psalms that are most quoted in the New Testament are Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, because of this fact that they both tie into the revelation of Jesus as the son. But let's begin just breaking down Psalm 2 really quick, because this speaks to um, a plot that has been ongoing since really the beginning of time. Uh, why, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? It's interesting. You know, I, first thing that I think about is just David is asking this question, like, why? Why are, are the nations so upset? You know, he knows the Lord as the Lord that has pleasures at his right hand and a river of delight. And I think he's, he's not asking the question in anger. I think, I think he's asking the question quite honestly. Why, why are people raging against the God who is so good? Why? What, what is in their heart? He's kind of marveling at the, the rage that's taking place around. Like, why are you so against this beautiful God? Why are you so dead set against this one who's created you in his image and, and is a God of everlasting compassion and mercy? And he's marking this, the reality that, that this plot is in vain. The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers are taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And so, you know, this is speaking to both kings and rulers that are human in governments. And it's also we need to bear in mind that, as Paul said in Ephesians, uh, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and forces of darkness in, in, the, in the spiritual places in the heavens. And so there's also, we have to remember, Satan and his, his kingdom, um, I believe that part of Psalm 2, maybe even the majority of this rebuke is levied against these spiritual powers that have been trying to usurp God's creation from the very beginning, from their, their rebellion. And so they are taking counsel together uh, and, and are trying these, these powers and, and the spirit of the age. Paul calls Satan the prince and power of the air. Uh, and so his kingdom is pulling people's hearts away from loyalty to the Lord and to his anointed one. And so these fallen spiritual powers are trying to uh, bring people into their council, which is Antichrist. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And in fact, Psalm 2 is quoted in Acts 4 in a very interesting way, where the disciples have been preaching Jesus. And the, uh, at the time, the Sanhedrin is resisting the, the testimony of Jesus, and they're actually beating the disciples and Peter and, uh, and, the, and the apostles come out and they come back and they actually pray Psalm 2. And they ask for the Lord's anointing to be upon their preaching uh, of the name of Jesus and that there would be miracles, signs, and wonders would be performed. And they quote this Psalm against the Sanhedrin that there's this Antichrist spirit, the anti-Messiah spirit that was operating in the, in the religious authorities over Jerusalem at that time. And so we have to remember that there's these powers that are uh, rallying against God's kingdom and against his word and against his ways. And their counsel is to bring people into that plot, but it's going to be vain. And that's what we're going to see in Psalm 2 is, uh, you know, the, these 
human beings and these dark spiritual powers are saying, let's break their bonds and cast away their cords from us. And when you think about the world right now, what is going on in terms of the reverence for God's word, the, the, the name of Jesus being mocked and scoffing and Christians being persecuted all over the world at this point, we can see that this, uh, this is happening right now where governments, political, religious, economic, um, all kinds of, I'm just going to call it world system Babylon, is uh, set itself against God's kingdom. So there's really, in, in the Bible, there's just two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness, this is their cry. Let's cast off restraint. Let's cast off God's ways and his word from us. But then when you look in verse four, uh, the Lord who sits in heaven laughs. The father is holding this, uh, the, these powers in derision. And this plot is being held in derision. And he says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so this is the establishment of God's purpose from the very beginning is to establish Christ as king. And he's done it and nothing and no one can undo that. And David is overhearing this testimony of God's sovereign choice and selection of king. And I would just make a little note here. Um, as we look at political kingdoms that are being shaken all over the earth right now, all kinds of upheaval, um, you know, our hope, God does work through human government. Don't, don't hear that I'm not, I'm not saying that. He does raise up kings and he sets other kings aside. But our ultimate hope in, as disciples of Jesus is not that the right man or woman is brought into a government office, but that ultimately our hearts are set on this reality right here that David is tying into, that the kingship of Jesus in his kingdom, uh, where he will reign forever, and he's going to uh, rule and reign, and he's going to establish his kingdom. And that's where our hearts and our hope have to be set. And so he's overhearing uh, the Father speaking these amazing things over Jesus the Son, and you can see it there in verse 7. He says, uh, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so you have, uh, again, we know that Jesus is the only begotten son of God. Uh, and so Psalm 2 in that way is tied so specifically to John 3.16 uh, that this was the will of the heavenly father. And here's the father speaking again. He says, ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So that's not talking about people there. I believe that's talking about the kingdom of darkness and Jesus, his authority and his rule is going to destroy. Uh, we read about it in, in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. He, his, the breath of his mouth, he destroys the Antichrist and Babylon. Uh, and he, when he, in his coming, he dashes these dark powers into pieces and establishes his kingdom forever. But I want to say something here, too, that there's a salvation plan that Jesus has in his first coming, right? Jesus came in his first coming not to set up his kingdom right then and there politically in Jerusalem. He set it up spiritually, but the first thing that had to be dealt with was mankind's sin. And so there's a salvation plan 
For whosoever believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and was raised from the dead and is coming back, they will be saved. And so the first thing is God is ransoming humanity that is made in his image out of the kingdom of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of light. And that's the salvation plan in his first coming. That was uh, the new covenant. Shed, his shed blood brings us into that salvation plan. But there's also this kingdom plan that's also running concurrently. Uh, and you can see it right here where the father is saying to Jesus, you know, ask of me and I'm going to give you these nations as your inheritance. And we can read in the book of Revelation again, where the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. See, when, when the, the fall of mankind happened, there was a usurpation. God gave humanity the calling to exercise dominion over his creation. But through sin, we gave that authority over to Satan, which is why Jesus had to come as God and man to move in and, and, and reclaim that which we forfeited by our sin. And so here he's been elevated because he allowed himself to be humiliated to the degree that he was. He's now been elevated and has been given the name above every name so that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And so here he is, his inheritance is going to be the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our, of our God, but they're not, they're not there yet. Um, there's still this rebellion that's taking place. This Psalm 2, this world system Babylon rebellion is taking place. And, and uh, you know, the Apostle Peter says in his epistle, don't think that God is being slow in coming. You know, the scoffers and the mockers are saying, well, well, it's been 2,000 plus years. Is he ever going to come back? And Peter is saying, and with all sobriety, his delay is because of his mercy. He doesn't he does not delight in the punishment of the wicked, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. And so Jesus is delaying so that the maximum amount of people will repent and come into his kingdom and choose his love, his loving ways versus the ways of destruction and darkness that Satan and his kingdom have established. And so Psalm 2 ends here with uh, this admonishment to the kings and the rulers of the earth. And it says, now, therefore, be wise, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Um, there's this reality that, um, you know, Jesus, the, his identity as a king, you know, it's not a democracy. He, he has all authority in heaven and on earth that have been given to him. And he's not asking us our opinions and our vote really isn't going to count for very much. Jesus is seated at that place of authority. Um, and so there's a right, a right reverence and fear that we should have for his leadership as a king. You know, Jesus said, don't fear the ones that can only kill your body, right? He said, fear the ones who can kill, fear, fear the one, God, who can kill your body and can cast your soul into hell. And so there's a right alignment with the fear of the Lord, I believe, in this hour of you know, who he is as king and as judge is paramount and preeminent and should be the foremost thing in our hearts and minds as it was with David. Again, this is the key of David. Ever he's focused on uh, this, on God's presence and hiding and, and being in, 
in God's presence, and he's forerunning this reality for the church at this point. You know, we talked about when I, I taught on David's life a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, I, I quoted Isaiah 55, where it says, you know, God says he made David a witness to all the peoples, all the nations. David is a forerunner example to us of a reality of one who was abiding in the vine. Before Jesus spoke John 15, David was living it, and he was committed to it. And, and so here he is, but that doesn't mean that we become overfamiliar and treat Jesus as our BFF and, and we, we, we become casual uh, in our relationship with him. Uh, there's a right place of remembering this is, he's on his throne and when he comes back, he has the eyes of fire and a sword coming from his mouth and, and he's been given that authority by our heavenly father. And so this is the admonishment to serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling that our, our joy even comes with the reality of like, you know, this man, this God man that we worship is beyond our comprehension. And I think about the apostle John getting the revelation uh, there on the Isle of Patmos. And again, John is the beloved one of the Lord and he is uh, experienced in the love of God. John is talking about love in all of his epistles first you know, John, first, first John, second John, third John, the gospel of John is all about the love of God. John is identified as the one as, as the beloved of the Lord. And yet when he sees Jesus glorified, he falls down as a dead man and, and he has to be raised up because the, the glory that is upon Jesus as the king is unlike any other glory in the universe. The power of that revelation should cause us to have joy because he's overcome the kingdom of darkness, but it should also cause us trembling in the sense like he is so good and so beautiful, so holy, so worthy. It should just leave us stunned in his presence. And so the, David ends the psalm, you know, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. I love that. Kiss the son. Worship Worship this one that has been installed in Zion on God's holy hill. Why are you raging so much? You know, the world is clamoring for scraps and crumbs uh, when God has a, a wedding feast available, a bounteous, pure water, and where the world is scrambling for muddy, you know, polluted, poisonous water when he's got pure living water for us to drink. And so again, you know, David is admonishing, come and worship Jesus, worship the son of God, work with this plan that God has set from the beginning, because all of your rage, all of your rebellion, all of your plots and schemes will not undo what the heavenly father has established in his purpose. And then it ends with this beautiful phrase, blessed are all who take refuge in him. That is a link, I believe, to also into Psalm 110, that we're going we're gonna to turn our attention to Psalm 110 uh, for the rest of this time. But that idea that our ref, like Jesus is our refuge. I want to just say that very, very boldly and clearly. Whatever's going on in our life, Jesus is our refuge. He's there through the storms. He's there through the betrayals. He, his word is his opinion is the in the room is the only one that matters. And so, uh, you know, 
this is the end time strategy is his presence to get oil in your lamp, to know him and to abide in his word and to remain in his love and to sit at his feet. You know, the, the one thing that David says in 20, 27, Psalm 27, 4, one thing I've desired is to gaze on his beauty. That's also the one thing that Mary of Bethany desired. And she sat at his feet uh, there in Luke chapter 10. And, and Jesus said that she's, there's one thing that is required and, and Mary has chosen it and it won't be taken from her. That this, this one, this beautiful God that we serve, that has, he gave his life for us. And he doesn't just want to talk to us about our sin life. He wants, he has a plan for our lives. He wants to bring us into uh, walking in his plan, purpose, and desire for us, as Paul calls us his workmanship in Psalm cha or, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are Christ's workmanship. And that word in the Greek is poema. You know, he wants to put us on that potter's wheel and make something of our life and to conform us into his image. And the only way that that can happen is when we take time and sit in his presence and choose the one thing this key of David, that, that God's presence is our strategy, not our own understanding, um, not money, not the right human leader, whether that's religious or political or cultural. He, Jesus, is everything, and everything is being brought under his feet, according to the word of God. And so I believe these two Psalms are so critical for us as we observe what is happening in the earth and we look at the news headlines and we can see that Jesus as the prophet of prophets has said exactly what the end of the age is going to look like and our times are, are conforming more and more to his words the closer we get to the end of the age. And so to apply these Psalms uh, with reverence and with focus to say, I'm going to sit at your feet uh, and, and be with you, Jesus. Um, that's so critical for us in this hour. But let's let's move to Psalm 110 and continue looking at these two amazing um, declarations of the sonship and the kingship of Jesus. And so he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with the dead. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. And he will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And so here we have Psalm 110 is this coronation psalm of Jesus as the king. And here we have again the Lord saying to the son, sit at my right hand. Uh, and I love this phrase here to just think about for a moment. And sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So in God's presence is the, the battle belongs to the Lord. And Jesus did not vindicate himself. Everything is going to, to occur right when, at, along the Father's timeline. And so Jesus is modeling for all of us uh, this position of favored son and 
and he's sitting in the presence of the Father. And in God's presence is light. And in God's presence is our identity. And in God's presence will, will ultimately be vindication. And he's going to make the enemies of Christ are going to be his footstool. He will rule over them in the midst of his enemies. The Lord's, and again, here we have this direct connection to Zion that we saw in Psalm 2. I've, an, I've, I've installed my holy king on my holy hill in Zion. And here David is saying again the same thing. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. And so there's going to come a day, you know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father until it's time for his enemies to be made his footstool. And when he rises out of that place and he un unrolls the scroll in heaven and, and leads us into the consummation of the end of the age, he is going to shake everything that can be shaken. Human governments, all the injustice on the earth is going to be dealt with. All of the wickedness, all of the evil is going to be dealt with. And when Babylon is overthrown, uh, it says the angels and all of God's holy people rejoice because his rulership is what we've been longing for. His, his kindness and his love and every wrong thing being righted and no more tears, right? No more pain, no more sin. And he's going to deal with all of these enemies and the last enemy that will be dealt with will be death. And I love verse three here. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the dawn. And so part of our call as the people of God is to offer ourselves freely to him on the day of his power. And again, that comes back to his presence. Um, we are, uh, declaring his praise. We are worshiping. We are priests. And this is really, although this is a coronation psalm, this verse is speaking of a priestly ministry that we have, where we are blessing the Lord and we're standing in and just declaring who he is. Like the, you know, just as priests throughout all of scripture do, uh, your good and your mercies endure forever. They're declaring the character and the nature and the words of God. And we are, we've been changed into holy garments. You know, gone are the garments of sin and shame, but we've been given new garments, new identities in him as his sons and his daughters. And Jesus said in John 17, his prayer for us was that, and, and this is his high priestly prayer, but he prayed that, that Lord, all who would ever believe in me, that they would know that you love them as much as you love me. Astonishing. That we are, we are loved by our Heavenly Father as much as our Heavenly Father loves Jesus, which I still, I mean, that, that thought, can't, we can't really comprehend that thought of how good and how deep and how long and how wide God's love truly is. And that's Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. You know, he is saying, we, you're, I want you to understand how high and how wide, how long and how deep his love really is, but you're never really going to be able to understand it because it's beyond our ability to comprehend how, how good and how deep his love really is for us. And so this is kind of calling us into our priestly roles and our priestly identity to minister primarily to the Lord. You know, and this again comes back down to 
to David's call, this, this key. He was a king, but he was a very priestly king. He wasn't a priest, but he moved in this priestly identity where all that matters to him was the presence of the Lord, and he just wanted to be with God. And so we have this interesting callback as well uh, when we look at what the Father says over Jesus. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so Melchizedek is mentioned in three places in the scripture. One is in Genesis, I believe it's 14. And that's the story of Abraham. And he goes after Lot and he rescues Lot from some kings and there's a battle. And this mysterious figure comes out uh, named Melchizedek, and it says he rules from a place of called Salem, uh, and so his name in the Hebrew, it means uh, king of righteousness, Melech Zedok, and he rules Salem, which is peace, and so here you have, I believe, a, a foreshadowing of this priestly order that Jesus is going to be uh, ministering in. He's not ministering in, in a Levitical role. He is ministering forever as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, this king of righteousness and Abraham tithes to Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Melchizedek is mentioned here in Psalm 110, and then he's also mentioned in the letter uh, to the Hebrews. And so in that point is, you know, here, here is Abraham, the, the lesser always tithes to the greater. And so whoever Melchizedek is, he is greater than Abraham. And they also share a covenant meal. With the bread and the wine, the first place bread and wine are broken and blessed in the scriptures is between Melchizedek and Abraham. And so here you have this callback that uh, kind of connects all of the scriptures together in, in, in Christ's calling. He's a king, but he's also a high priest, and he's also a prophet. He is prophet, priest, and king. And his prophetic ministry was really, uh, you know, in his first coming, he moved as a prophet, capital P. Uh, over and over and over again, uh, he was calling uh, God's people back to the ways of the kingdom and back to a righteous relationship with the Father. And now he is seated at his right hand, and he is now in his priestly calling. That has been added to him. He's been ascended to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession. And he's sprinkled the blood. His holy blood has been sprinkled on the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant in heaven, the mercy seat. And the author of Hebrews says, we can go boldly now before the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus. And so that blood has made intercession for us. Jesus is functioning as a priest. And Psalm 110 is, is focused on this transition that's going to come when he fully enters into his kingship and the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdom of our God. He stands up. And it says he shatters, he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. And now we're back into that Psalm 2 reality a little bit of he is, he's coming in power. It's the day of his power. It's the day of the Lord. And uh, sin has ripened and run its course. And it's now it's time for judgment. And so it's a day of fear and trembling. Um, and it's, it's nothing new. I know we don't like to talk about fire and brimstone in our culture, but we have to remember what was the gospel of the kingdom that Paul was preaching. And when you look in Acts 17, verse 30, for example, he's in, in uh, Athens and he's preaching to the Greeks. They obviously are a pantheistic society. They worship many gods. 
And uh, he's talking to them about this statue that was dedicated to an unknown God. And, and Paul begins to preach to them. But in verse 30 in Acts 17, he says, uh, for a time, God looked away at, from your ignorance. But now he has commanded men and women everywhere to repent because the time is coming where, where a man will come and judge the world. And God has shown us who that man is by raising him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the scriptures. And so this reality of the return of Jesus as a righteous king and a righteous judge executing his wrath that has been stored up and it's been building up and it's been building up. I mean, we have to remember that God sees every sinful act throughout all of human history. He's witnessed it. He knows what is in the hearts of every fallen man and woman. He sees every dark deed that's never been brought to light in a court of justice in terms of a human court. He knows the blood guilt and he, the blood that's crying out from the ground. The sins that have stained and polluted his creation, you know, if anyone is a righteous judge and has every reason to come in wrath, it is the holy God of the universe. And he's coming to judge these powers that have rebelled against him and, and anyone that has aligned themselves with those powers. And so the plea again to human beings is come out from the kingdom of darkness, come out from Babylon, do not drink from that cup of Babylon, lest you drink the cup of God's wrath. You don't want to be in that city when he judges it. And so that's the invitation of the gospels to come out from the kingdom of darkness, come into the kingdom of light and love and, and into the presence of, of the, the most beautiful king in the universe. I'm just going to kind of pause there on Psalm 110 and then you guys get the point. This was David's passion. And I think it's remarkable that, you know, about a thousand years before Jesus is born, the Holy Spirit gives David this inspiration to understand who Jesus is as the son of the living God. His passion was the presence of God. We talked about Psalm 27, four, this one thing I seek to gaze on your beauty you know, I just think about David as that shepherd on the, on the hills, you know, with the sheep and he's looking up at the stars and he's singing songs. And I don't know what all is happening there, but he's fascinated by the beautiful one. And there's even with as fallen a place as this world is, there's still so much beauty that we can see around us and, and goodness, you know, in God that we can celebrate. And so David's key is to call us into this passionate pursuit of the beauty of the Lord and his holiness, to gaze on his beauty, to find God in our everyday rhythms. Uh, and David was forerunning that passion for us. Um, you know, his strategy was the presence of God. Govern I'm talking about his governmental strategy was, let me have a tent that's open it's not the Holy of Holies where the high priest, only the high priest can go in before the Ark of the Covenant one day a year. Somehow David tapped into this reality before Jesus came 
of thousands of singers and musicians in priestly ministry to the presence of the Lord. And that was his governmental strategy in the center of Jerusalem in the city of David was the tabernacle of David. Um, he ruled his, his entire focus. He, he wanted God to lead Israel. And it's the closest the world's ever come to a theocracy. That David was the shepherd after God's own heart. And, you know, that's why I believe the scriptures say in Amos that at the end of the age, he's going to raise up the fallen tabernacle of David. Um, this reality is being raised up again. This, this is God's dream is that he would dwell with us. That was God wanted to walk with us in the Garden of Eden. David tapped into this desire, this dream of God to be with humans and to say yes to that dream and to passionately pursue and make himself available to offer himself willingly to God. Um, and here at the end of the age, I believe the Lord is calling us as, as the church, as the ecclesia, to look up, to look beyond the circumstances, to look beyond the shaking, to look beyond the turmoil and the crisis and the darkness and the shaking, and to remember who he is. He's going to shake everything that can be shaken so that only the kingdom of God remains and that, that, that he is our rock and uh, we take our refuge in him. Remember Psalm 2, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Uh, and so he was, his passion was the presence of God. His strategy was the presence of God. And his pleasure was rooted in the presence of God. I love Psalm 1611. You're going to show me the path of life and pleasures at your right hand forevermore. Uh, you know, he talks about how all of the world feasts on God's abundance in Psalm 36. David had a vision of this, this passionate delight, uh, the river of God's delight. And this, this is a God of abundance, a God of uh, just wanting to be with human beings and that he is the ultimate superior pleasure that we could ever experience. And so this is the call of scripture. It's not just David, but he really embodied it and Mary embodied it. And this is in, in the very invitation in, in Jesus calling to us in John 15 to abide in the vine, to come into his presence. You know, you can remember the conversations he's having with the Pharisees and he holds up the scriptures at one point and he says, you think in these you have life, but these testify of me. Come to me that you might have life. And so I think for me at this stage, you know, obviously Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, the Lord has been showing us in this season and they mean a great deal to me right now um, and I'm passionate about it but to me it's become so simple that this is all about the glory and the name and the worthiness of the of Jesus and whatever we do to lead people to an encounter with him to make it as simple as that and to lift his name up and he says wherever my name is lifted up I'll draw all unto myself. And that's, uh, that's really the call here. And I think it's remarkable that David was moving by the inspiration of the Spirit a thousand years before Jesus came, and he understood this remarkable plan that God the Father has initiated that's coming to fruition in our time and in our day. And so as we look around us and the shakings are intensifying, you know, Jesus said, it's going to be like a woman giving birth. 
at the end of the age. And those contractions get stronger. They get stronger and they get closer together. And then that baby's going to come. And the baby is the new age. It's his leadership on, on uh, David's throne in Jerusalem, the messianic kingdom established, the millennial reign of Christ. And he says, you know, no woman looks forward to that pain, but they wouldn't give the child back to not endure the pain. So the hope and the focus, just as that mother-to-be is focused on the life of her child, I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us to focus on the beauty of Jesus and to stay in his presence, to make him our refuge in this season. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what the issues are, our victory will always remain in the same place. It's his presence. And our, our role, our job, is to offer ourselves willingly. Uh, but we can give ourselves to so many things uh, all around us. The, you know, like Jesus talks about the, the cares of this world that are like thorns that can choke out the seed of the gospel that's growing in people's lives. So there's so much that's demanding our attention and our focus. And the Lord is wanting to bring us back to just magnifying the name of Jesus and his presence in our lives. And that's where our victory will lie. Just as, as Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, if we are in Christ, Paul says, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. My friends, you and I are seated in that same place at the right hand of the Father with him. And, you know, we can try in our own strength and our own understanding to try and affect change on this earth, or we can settle down and come to him sit in his presence and pray what he's praying from the right hand of the father. And those are the prayers that have the authority and that have the impact on what's going on all around us. And I think David understood that secret. And I'll close with this last thought and then we can just open it up for hear your guys' thoughts on some of these things. Or maybe there's some other Psalms that really were touching your, your hearts and minds and, uh, that we were reading through. But, um, you know, with that idea of resistance, I was praying the other day and I just, the Lord was showing me uh, water skiing, and I've water skied a few times in my life. I'm not very good at it, but those of you who have ever done it, you know, when you're learning how to water ski, it's really difficult because you're, you're kind of sitting uh, with your ski tips up out of the water, and you're in kind of a chair. You're kind of sitting down like you're in a chair in the water, and the boat starts to pull forward, but it hasn't reached its power yet, and it's pulling you up, and there's all this resistance from the water against you kind of coming up over the water to get up on top of the water. And I believe the Holy Spirit was just showing me that, that that's what it's like. You know, when we offer ourselves willingly, there's this resistance. There's all kinds of resistance around us. Some of it's our flesh. Some of it's the distractions of this world. Some of it's demonic and it's the second heavens, these spiritual powers. There's, uh, you know, an atmosphere that has to be broken through to really just enter in. And there's, it takes time uh, to enter into this, to this reality. And so just like that water skier has to persevere and deal with some of those resistances, as soon as you get up on the water though, and your skis are there, now the power of the boat is pulling you. There's very, very, very little effort other than just holding on to the tow rope as a water skier in your the power of that boat is pulling you and taking you and you are just uh, moving at such an exhilarating pace and speed and 
it's one of the most interesting, uh, enjoyable activities that I've done. But I think that's a metaphor for us that as we overcome these resistances around us, uh, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we persevere, we push through and we press in to his presence. We're going to be like those water skiers that overcome that, that resistance and get up on that surface of the water. And his spirit is leading us. And there's an ease and there's an exhilaration and there's a, a speed at which you cannot humanly uh, account for. It's God's power at work in us. Um, and it's because as we draw our, as we, we come into his vine, his life begins to flow through us and, and take us where he wants to go. And we're just holding on to that tow rope, following his leadership. And so uh, that's what I, I had in my heart to share with you all tonight. Um, as we're going through the Psalms and we're bringing David's story to a close to just reflect on a few of these things. But I think these two Psalms in particular are very relevant today uh, in, in relationship to how do we come out from Babylon and what are we coming into? We're coming into the very presence of the Lord. And so I will pause there. I definitely agree with you in reference to, in my life, they're the Psalms of the season and God has been speaking and just reminding me of that very, very important thing. And that is to sit at his feet. You know, there's so much that we can do and even in ministry that can keep you busy but to be able to do any and all things well, it is understanding, keeping the number one thing, the number one thing. And the number one thing is God, you know, just sitting in his presence and even being silent before him, you know, because it's for me easy to come with my prayers and all of that. But what he's training me up in this season is just sit before me sit before me and allow your heart to connect with mine and then help me to speak in hear me as i'm speaking and then take what i'm saying you know you don't always have to be talking you don't always have to be moving just sit quietly before me you know having that god i'm here uh, for you, and I'm listening. And one of the key things that uh, he shared with me that goes along with what you're, what you were saying is that understand that as he has tarried, because going back to the time of Noah, when he promised that he would not judge the earth and sin in the way that he did and bring that flood, as God has been tarrying darkness continues to grow and it has been thriving. And as you said, it has been left unchecked, amen, un, um, undealt with. So a, the grip of darkness is what we are dealing with. And that grip of darkness is deception. It is the lies that the enemy is telling and promoting as the truth. Because the reality is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Amen. We are dealing with entities that are all part of Lucifer, Satan, the devil, his army. And so these forces have gotten stronger, not that they're all powerful because they're not. 
but it is that grip, it is that deception that pulls us. And how do we overcome that? By simply submitting to God. That's why he said, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. And when we set before God, submission becomes surrender. And in that place, we're able to reconnect and refocus. And as I focus, he becomes larger and larger and greater and greater in my life and in my existence. So as David understood, the key is the one thing. And the one thing is every day entering into the presence of God, pushing back and resisting the darkness that wants to tell us and deny us that which God through Christ Jesus has given us, but understanding that that is our inheritance, even while we're still living, is to be in the presence of the living God. Amen. Amen. So yeah, and as you're sharing, I, I just want to respond to a question because maybe there's people that are, are the natural question that would be is like, well, how do how do I do that? You know, like, and I think in one sense. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. There's something really precious, I think, about just grabbing two or three and just no agenda, like just asking Jesus to come. Just put on some worship music or just waiting in his presence and to tarry with him. Like, uh, you know, I think about what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, to his disciples, like, I, I wanted you to tarry. Can, can you not tarry with me for one hour? You know, what if we gave him two? And what if we did that just one one night a week? Start with that. But there was no someone preaching, no someone leading worship, but just agreeing to come together. We're just going to sit here and focus on Jesus and ask him to come and be with us. And whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And maybe he doesn't say anything, but we just worship. We just declare who he is. And we begin to train that muscle. Um, I just wonder where we would be in a year or five years, or 10 years later, um, how many experiences would we have in the presence of the Lord? How many testimonies would, would occur? But I think we, we're in this season of having to decrease um, and let go of the ways in which we've done things in the past, potentially. And maybe this is new things for us to walk in, but um, you know, I think this is something that we're going to be talking more about as we continue to move forward in this next season. Um, so anyway, just a few other thoughts. But I also want to encourage people to know that you can also draw the presence of God while you're by yourself, you know, because you may not have the two or three around you. And it's something that we can do every day. And how do we do that? We do that by quieting ourselves before God, focusing God, and also following the name of God. When the disciples asked Jesus, he said, teach us how to pray. He said, pray in this manner, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Hallowing simply means to speak well of God, tell God who you know him to be. The Bible says he dwells in the praises of his people. So even if it's just you, just you, see him as seated right there in front of you and begin to hallow his name. You are the Lord. You are good. You are wonderful. You are holy. You are the creator of the heaven and the earth, the stars and the moon. You cause the trees to sway in praise of you, the, the grass to give its praise because everything you made, you made it to bring glory and honor to your name. And God shows up. Amen. He shows up. And I want to challenge you that if you don't do this, practice it every day so that when the two or three of us come together, it's a fire that ignites. Glory be unto God. Amen. Uh, just a thing that I do in my prayer closet is I have a chair and I believe the Lord sits in that chair. I don't sit in it, but he does. So I place a chair in my prayer closet and, and kneel at his feet. And it's just so beautiful. And I think sometimes when I don't go in there as soon as I should, for whatever reason, because I, I get a little like, I want to read scripture, but then I think, well, because I need to study, but then, oh, I need to be in his presence. I have to pray for my people. And so sometimes I get a little overwhelmed of are all these things, what's the first thing? Because I feel like they're all important because he's always first. So I struggle with that, you know, but when I'm in his presence, I think, wow, this is so simple and so beautiful. It sparked a thought when you were sharing, you know, about there's so many things we could do. We could read the scripture. We could pray all these all these prayers, and I, I remember a friend of mine in England when we were over there was saying, you know, there's not enough prayers. We could literally spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week praying for all the things that are going wrong on the world, and 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 still not actually touch it all. And I was like, that's absolutely right. And so, what do we do with all that we could do? You could you could do a hundred things, a thousand things. But what's the one thing? And it's like when we slow down and we just sit at his feet, he shows us what to do in that moment. And we let go of what we think we should do. And we just, it's like, be still and know that I'm God. It's that place, that place of surrender and stillness. And then suddenly he begins to speak or give you a, a leaning. And it comes back to the simplicity of Jesus did what he saw his father doing. And he only said what his father told him to say. And so there may be 10,000 things that we could do, but what's the one thing that the father is saying, to, showing you to do? And what's the one thing that the father is telling you to say? Say that and do that. And don't make it any more complicated than that. Um, but it comes to that place of just being still. And I love the fact that you're in that prayer closet and with that chair where Jesus sits in a chair, it's really beautiful. Amen. Thank you for that.
You know, I um, teach in reference to uh, prayer altars and literally what is a prayer altar? It is your heart. You know, we can see through scripture all the way from Abraham through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wherever they went, God had them to build prayer altars. And so what is the difference now? The difference now is that it begins with your heart. And what is the foundation of that building? It's recognizing that he's God and establishing that. And then bringing honor unto him because he is the Lord. He's God. He's king. And he, again, will present himself to you because he doesn't present himself the same way every time. He is God. Uh, he king, master, lord. You know, he is uh, all things so it really is just sitting and being led by God. You know, we in the Western world in particular, we like our checklists and we say, you know, one through three, four, five, ten. If I do this, then I can enter in. But no, it is again acknowledging he's the Lord and allowing him to lead because today he might want this. Tomorrow, he may want something else. Amen. Just as we go back and look at the life of David, when he led David into battle, he didn't have David do the same thing every time there was a battle. So we have to understand that we're a kingdom at war. We're at battle. And he has given us the victory to overcome the enemy, but he leads us in how to do that. So, you know, even when we look at Hezekiah, Hezekiah was being threatened, Israel was, but he took the letter and he laid it before and he began to acknowledge to God who he knew him to be and God gave him the victory. Amen. So, there is a leading in God that is not the same. And how I pray today isn't necessarily how he'll lead me tomorrow, but it's being open to God, being connected and allowing him to be God, the Lord, the King. You lead, I'll follow, amen. I totally agree with you, Pastor Sylvia. In being in the prayer, uh, prayer altar, initially when I went in, it's like I hear a lot of intercession. They straight away start off with intercession, carried on and carried on, and I carried on along with it. And then one day the Lord reminded me about Revelations chapter 2, verse 4. It was like a slap on my face. It's like I lost my first love. I was thinking, Lord, I'm spending a lot of hours, you know, praying. And the Lord said, that's not what I want from you. And how would you know what, what is in my heart when you're not, you're busy talking, but not listening. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. You know, it's like here, it's a common verse, but we get so caught up with, um, I got caught up with, um, with feeling good about myself that I'm doing something and the passion for many things for the praying for my country, praying for Israel, praying for my family, praying for everybody, but not knowing what was in the heart of the Lord. And uh, also like what he said, every day is a new 
something new. I can simply say it's like I'm married, I'm married for 30 years, but yet every day I need to sit and listen to what my husband has to say because there's something new every day he has experienced. And more so because we are in the ministry together the, and uh, the, the devil works 24-7. We are resting. We put our guard down. But he, he doesn't. He's always targeting and the arrows are always there. And, and I realize that being with him and listening really helps. And one more with the Lord. In fact, last week when I was sharing, I said, I was so st stressed and so uh, the same, but that little while just being quiet and being in his presence, I felt so good. As Christians, as being heading ministries, tendency is like we we are so caught up with the operation, not really understanding, or rather, I I would say I put I don't want to say it in general. I God is reminding me that the one thing that He is asking me to do first is being at his feet and hearing what he has to say loving him experiencing him and that is the source and sometimes i also recognize that we put our gifting above being with the lord if we put the gifting above being with the lord tendency is we will not be able to discern who is leading what we are doing. And that's that's happening in the last days. Many, many of us, uh, including myself, tendencies like, wow, okay, the gifting, because as we as we desire we are and we know how to tap uh, tap on the gifting, we are growing in the gifting, but somewhere along the line. The Lord is far back waiting for us. This is what the Lord reminded me recently that the Antichrist was among us. So I'm not saying there's one among you is Antichrist, no, but he's telling us that we need to really hear the Lord, really, and uh, like what Pastor Jed was telling, really hear the Lord and we need him because he is the source, not not even the intercession intercession is from that spending time then we know what to intercede and how to intercede and that's what god was speaking to me as you all who are sharing uh pastor jet uh, and pastor sylvia I, I really thank you all that i'm here because it's confirmation to know that and fall back and as you all are speaking, it also helps me to correct myself areas that, you know, I'm, I, I need help. Thank you very much. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Sister Shira, for sharing your heart and perspective. Um, as you're sharing, I just was reminded of a dream that the Lord gave me back in October, and I just feel like I'm supposed to share it because it connects with a number of things that you were talking about actually that are are pretty important for us all as just human beings <laughs> and disciples in this time related to intercession in any way in the in the dream i've been involved in a number of regional prayer initiatives over a number
number of years now. And it was in the dream. I was at one of these gatherings where I'm sure some of you have been to some of them where it's different leaders are praying for, you know, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, particular topic, come up to the front and pray from the podium and the stage and just, just do your piece. And then, you know, it's one of these kind of regional unity prayer events. And all I know is that I'm supposed to pray John 13, 35, and I have 60, 60 seconds is my time. And so I, it comes to be my time to go up to the, to the podium. And so I go up there to pray this prayer. <laughs> it's funny. I, 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 in the dream, I can't find the gospel of John. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I'm kind of stumbling around trying to open my Bible to the gospel of John and I can't find it. And I feel this pressure of the time is winding down and I haven't even yet begun to pray, but I know that I have this scripture memorized. And so I, I just said, I'm just going to pray out of my heart. I know this scripture. So I, I and in the scripture is uh, the world will know you're my disciples by your love. That's John 13, 35. And, uh, and so I began to open my mouth to pray, but instead of words coming out, what comes out is this deep groan and it's messy. And I start weeping and I can't actually form words. And in the middle of everybody in this gathering of the dream, I'm driven down onto my knees. And this really, from, a, from the way it would sound in the natural, not a pleasant groan is, is erupting from my voice, in my heart. And I know in the midst of this dream, that what the Holy Spirit is showing me, it's almost an out-of-body experience because I'm doing it. This travail is happening, but I have understanding that the Holy Spirit is really groaning that we as the church would stop praying prayers and speaking words without inhabiting their meaning. Like he wants us to live John 13, 35, not pray it from a platform. And, and it was this, I mean, there's more to the dream, but that, that, but that was the, the, the essence of it was, you know, our programs and the way that we structure things, I think the Lord's going to begin disrupting some of what were of our gatherings so that he comes back into preeminence. And that, that as we really, I think what you said, Cher, about coming back to our first love, that's not just for you. That's for all of us. That's, that's every believer we can drift and we can, we can begin to focus on any, any number of things that in and of themselves are not even bad things. And yet we can lose our focus on the person of Christ and our communion with him. And I think this is what the Holy Spirit's calling us to is just to come back to that vine and find our rhythm and our life in him. Um, and I think he's gonna be disrupting some of our structures that are not centered on his person not because he hates us or because he's, he's wanting to hurt us, but he's actually wanting to set us free from religion that's actually not taking us into him. He, we're made for his presence. Well, I think that, um, again, key points that we want to walk away with is God is calling us in this season and this time to return back to him, uh, our first love. And many may say, well, I already have that, but it's understanding that we are 
priest unto the Lord. And the priest's responsibility was to minister to God first. Amen. And we've lost that. He must become first again in our lives. A wave of deception from the enemy and all the lies. It's in that private time, that intimate time that he reveals his heart and he shares his truth with us so that we can distinguish that from the lies. And the truth of God always bears truth to the word of God. Amen. He will never tell us something that doesn't line up with his word. And God desires to reveal his heart to his people. And he desires that more than anything. If we go back and look at Genesis chapter one, they walk with him in the garden. He was revealing himself to Adam and Eve, amen. And that is exactly what he desires again. Jesus modeled that in the New Testament and he had 12 disciples. We know one was set there by the enemy, but the 11, he poured into them. He shared with them. He revealed his heart to them. Now we have been given the Holy Spirit. And in those times of quietness and intimacy, he reveals the heart of the Father and the Son to us. There was a song that I, I felt just to kind of pray, to play over us as a benediction.
Father, we just want to thank you for this time in your word and together for each person here, Lord. And we just, you are everything. In you, we live, we move, we have our being. Thank you that you hold us in your hands, that in your presence is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And so I just pray you'd go with us, Lord, in all the different challenges, all the different storms of life, all the different pressures, stresses uh, that we all go through, that we would find our hope and our joy in you and you alone. So we thank you again for this time, and we pray that you would receive the glory, honor, and praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Amen. Good night, everyone. And good night, everyone. Amen. A bless. Thanks for coming. God bless you so much. Hello, Charles. Thank you. Love you all. Good night. Good night. Love you too.